Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the predictable mixed bag for college basketball. BYU won and Utah lost. Utah had ninth-ranked UCLA coming in. They had their chances. They ended up losing 63-58. They had a chance. They had two chances to hit a three at the end of the game, tie it, and force overtime, probably. UCLA would have had a few seconds left. And they couldn't get it to go. And they had empty possessions before that. Lost a possession on a charge. Went one for two at the free throw line. And they had their chance. This is a one-point game with two minutes to go. And they got one point the rest of the way. So it's great that they stayed that close to the number nine team in the country. Uh, but they're just the margin for error is real small. The losses keep adding up. All the guys look really dejected at the end of the game. You see Craig Smith with his typical energy come out clapping, trying to pump them up. But they, you know, after the second three didn't go in, they knew they were beaten. And it's frustrating. If you've ever been on a team that's gone through that, and I was in high school, uh, it sticks with you. I can feel it right now. <laughs> and it is just no fun. When you finally get one and break through, it's awesome. But my gosh, when you're putting a losing streak together, it's just awful. UCLA gone. They get the win. They pack up and head to uh, Colorado. And here comes USC on the weekend, 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, the Utes, you got to give them credit for hanging in there. Moral victories, blah, 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 and you want to win. But UCLA is really good, and the Utes aren't. And they were right there. BYU got it done. USD hung around. It was close. It was a real close game about 15 minutes ago. BYU put a good run on them. And USD fought back and got it close. Barcelo, 22 points. He's the man as always. Troy comes up big again. He has another double-double. He has really saved the day. And you've got to have some kind of inside presence. And I'm sure everybody wishes he were four or five inches taller and swatted shots and intimidated guys and all that. But, man, he doesn't back down from anybody. He is tough all day long. And he's skilled. It's not just, you know, in there, you know, just wrecking guys. Uh, he's skilled. And he'll he'll score. And he'll give you some toughness inside. So, BYU gets the win 79-71. All right, let's get to the Cougar post game. Just a little bit here. Mark Pope and Alex. Barcelo spoke with the media afterwards. I thought it was a great, great game tonight. San Diego's a really good team. Uh, we were tied second in the conference with them. Uh, we knew it was going to be a battle coming into this game. They're a great rebounding team. Um, they, they really get to the glass. They, they had their best player back, their leading scorer. Um, coming off a broken wrist. I thought that we, we did a really good job on him as well as their other shooters. There was a, a couple of slip-ups and miscommunications that we had in the first half. But, I mean, we came our, – our, our conversation at, at halftime was just, hey, it's 0-0. It's 31-31 coming into the second half, and we were going to bring as much energy as we can. We were going to tighten up uh, on the communication slip-ups that we had, and uh, we were just going to continue to battle throughout the game. And we, we tried not to there, – there was a lot of emotion that came out in the second half with, with refs, with players, with um, just within teams, and thought, that we did a really good job battling that frustration, which is what these these coaches preach to us every day. And uh, we, we did a really good job, I think, handling the, the glass. Um, there was a couple, I mean, they just every possession we're focused on rebounding. I just, I love it. We're, we're always locked in. And, and I just remember the, the last time I checked into the game, these coaches were just like, hey, tell your teammates, hit first, hit second. And uh, we, we need to stay locked in on that. And that's what's going to win us the game as well as taking care of the ball. And, uh, and I just thought that our, our energy was, was great. I mean, Gideon played extremely well. Caleb, I mean, he was, he was great on the glass. I thought Seneca just provided a, a great amount of energy in the first half, and he was really finding his spots and, and hitting shots. And I just I thought that we were all having fun out there, and, and we just we, we love the emotion that comes with it, especially when we win. Yeah, so it was, it was a really important matchup for us because they played so big. I mean, they're playing Parrish at the three a lot. They're playing uh, Erlington at the three. I mean, those are, you know, 6'6", six, 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 240, right? 
And um, so they're playing down. They moved all their guys down. They're playing really big. And, and so Sen at the three was really important for us defensively. He's been a, he's been a you know, his numbers are, are, are great defensively for us. And uh, he was really, really terrific at handling that physicality. And then he, was, he helped us out in transition. He helped us handle the ball. He actually made uh, several plays in the second half uh, that didn't lead to scores for him, that led to plays for other guys. I thought he was terrific tonight. But those matchups were super important. You know, uh, play, uh, playing against a big lineup, it's really convenient that we can play big, a big three. It's really convenient. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think you could look at it like that. I just the, 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 the in-game uh, guys, don't they talk to Alex. So I don't know. What, what, why did you move him to last? I don't, I don't know. I didn't know we had control. Whatever. No, he just <laughs> talked to yeah, See, here we go. No, he's just he's so fun to play with, and, and he deserves everything that's that's coming to him because he's just like Coach said. I mean, he's just so talented. The game's slow to him, but I, I just love how he comes into every day in practice. He's, he's so willing to work and to to get better and to listen to these coaches as well as his teammates. Um, it, it, he's just so much fun to play with. So Foose and Atiki, just just to get a sense of, of their life right now. So they were in study hall hammering away at nine o'clock this morning. And in between study hall and classes, they finally finish up at one o'clock. Like it's unbelievable what these these two are doing. And 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 you know, in a real sense, like they're going a long way towards saving saving Alex's senior year and and, and our season. They've been thrust into this really really difficult situation, and they're ringing the bell. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Those guys are can't say enough good things about those young men. All right, there's Mark Pope and Alex Barcelo. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy is talking football and NFL playoffs. Raider analyst Lincoln Kennedy, next. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. Lincoln, good morning. Oh, man. Getting ready for another uh, week of NFL playoffs. Also, right. also getting ready for a vacation, but that's a different story. But I'm very, <laughs> very excited. I haven't, I haven't gone on vacation in a couple of years. This is going to be awesome. Good for you. Yeah. So, not so good for the Raiders. Honestly, I, they were stretching that game. I honestly thought the Raiders were going to do it. Yeah, you know what? It was one of those games where they, they, they hung in there. They gave a great fight just like the, the entire season, but just came up a little bit short in the end. There's a whole theory that you've got to be aggressive and you got to go for touchdowns and field goals don't beat anybody. And that theory took a big hit in that playoff game. Because one of the reasons I thought the Raiders had a shot is when the Bengals had a momentum and everything was going great and they had field position and they were just barely making the play. You know, oh, that's a great catch. But you don't make that catch every possession. They settled for field goals and I thought, they're letting the Raiders hang in there and the football gods will punish you for that. And they ultimately didn't. The Raiders kicked field goals too. Does this take a swipe at everybody who's you got to be aggressive and go for it and go win the game or no? Well, no. You know, well, here's the, here's the thing. I, I think that there are coaches out there that tend to overthink and try to play uh, against or or, or you know uh, what's the best way of saying it? Just are, are are not in the in the right frame when they when they talk about momentum or going forward. For example, look at Los Angeles Chargers this past year um, when they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. The 
second game, um, they left nine points off the board because they yeah. kept going for it on fourth down and came up empty. And that nine points actually came back to haunt them because they ended up going overtime and they lost by a touchdown. So I think that you have to play smart and don't overthink things. But there are times where you can be aggressive and there are times where you just have to take what, what, you know, what, what the football guys have given you at that point. It's become a big deal about how the TV crew handled the inadvertent whistle. And they said that they heard it. Now, they got headsets on and they got mics all over the field. I'm not sure that you have that same thing. And if you do, not to the same degree. I've called basketball games, which is obviously a smaller environment. And depending on the arena, you can be closer to the floor. But I've called it where I've heard a whistle but wasn't sure if it came from the floor or the stands. And I found that confusing. And so I, I get how people get confused broadcasting and even how players get confused not knowing where the whistle came from and can stop. But when it ultimately turns out that it was a referee's whistle, I forget all that and I think, dude, do you not know when to blow your whistle? Right. That wasn't close. There are situations where there could be an inadvertent whistle. That wasn't close. Yeah, and the, the thing was is that we didn't hear it in the broadcast booth until we got the report from the TV crew what, what had happened. And the thing was, you know, look, I understand mistakes happen, human error happens. I don't have a problem with that. But in this day and age, when we have the technology and we have the things that are available at our disposal, just want them to get it right. Whether it's the replay, you see what happened, you, you slow it down, you, you just want to get it right. The the I'm not saying that the, the Bengals wouldn't have scored. I'm not saying that that would have changed the outcome. But you can ill afford in a playoff game when you're really the only game that's being played at that time and being watched by everybody who's a football fan or a sports fan, period. You can ill afford to have a mistake that resonates like that and not be able to do something about it or correct it. So my, my point is, is this, is that an inadvertent whistle, oh, they blew the whistle. They, they, okay, so according to the rules... You got to replay it down. The, the the play is dead. Dead. You got to replay it down. Go replay it down. That's just it. Go go replay it down over and over again. Don't just move on after you realize that there was a mistake. You understand your mistake. You know it happens. Okay. Well, let's let's correct it. Let's just let, let's just get it right. Don't ignore it like it didn't happen. And that's one of the things, the reason why uh, there were reports that that, that, that uh, officiating crew isn't working anymore playoff games because that was a big mistake that they just let go. They shouldn't be working anymore playoff games. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't you're, because you're right. You're 100% right. It might not have changed the outcome of the game. The Bengals might have scored it on the next play or on the replay and they could have won right. the game anyway. They might have settled for a field goal right. and still won the game. So it's not whining about that. It's just... When I'm watching football, I'm, if you're refereeing at this level, you have to know you can't blow the whistle then. True. You just you have to know that. And if you do, you can't be rewarded with another playoff game. You can't. I, I totally agree. 100%. I totally agree. So, that's, the, that's the same crew that, that worked a, a game earlier. Just a little side note. That crew worked, a, well, the, the re- main referee, Boger, worked a, a game earlier this year um, in Las Vegas. And at the coin toss, he said the Oakland Raiders will choose to defer the kick. And it was like, in Las Vegas, I'm like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. So, <laughs> uh, I find that stuff hilarious. But, you know, I'm a San Diego Charger fan. I got my feelings yeah. hurt when they went to LA. And so every time somebody slips, uh, Michael Wilbon did it on PTI. He said, the Raiders, you know, they got that weather out there in California. And when he was done, Tony said, well, number one, 
They're not in California. California exactly. And number two, don't ever bring up the weather because they play in a dome in Vegas. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, Will Bond was like, ah! You know, everybody's making that mistake. The uh, Not this current coach, but the previous coach, when he was introduced in L.A., they just moved there, and he said San Diego Chargers. Did he? Yeah, yeah. in his press conference. And I thought well, it was Well, when I was doing radio for years, and, and, and then uh, I, had, I had the hardest time saying the Los Angeles Chargers. I would say San Diego every time because growing up in San Diego, I was always used to them being the Chargers, San Diego Chargers. It, was, it is what it is. Yep. All right, so the playoffs continue now, and uh, PK will always say, you're going to pick the team with the best quarterback. Like, well, why would you pick against the best quarterback in such a dominant <laughs> quarterback dominant league? And the one reason to do that is the young guys getting experience. Now, we have seen young guys win Super Bowls, but also it's been very hard for them to do that the first time they're in the playoffs. Right. You know, the first time Mahomes was in the playoffs, they lost to the Patriots in right. the AFC title game. Then they went to two Super Bowls and won the first one. So I'm curious if you think... Joe Burrow, he looks like a guy who's going to win a Super Bowl one day, right. which is a difficult thing to guarantee, but it does look probable. But do you think he can do it right now? Should we be looking at the Bengals as a Super Bowl contender right now? I don't think they're strong enough right now. Um, they've got some holes, especially on the defensive side. They've got some holes that I don't know if they can overcome, uh, especially looking at some of the AFC teams. But when you look at the when you look at what what, what Joe Burrow has at his disposal, uh, I knew in the, the last week's game the Raiders did not have an answer for Jamar Chase. The the fact is is that the the way the Raiders play defense, um, they they put you know a different corner in the boundary, whether it was Brandon Faison or Desmond Trufant. Each time the Bengals went after that boundary corner with Jamar Chase or another receiver. And they, they, and they didn't have an answer. They, there was no way they could stop it. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the same case going forward for the Bengals. So I think that they're close. I think they're a good team. It's good for the city. You know, after 30 years, finally winning a playoff game. Um, it was a great environment, a great atmosphere. But I, I, don't, I, I think the road ends soon for the, for the Bengals, and it'll be this weekend. The other AFC playoff game, super intriguing. Oh wait, I, before before we go any further, yeah. Do you think it ends? It ends this weekend. Uh, how are they going to? Is Tannehill going to sling it and going to be the man and just drop back and beat him and and pick on the matchups that you're talking about, or do you actually expect a guy with a plate in his foot to go out and run for a hundred yards? I expect them to rely heavily, or at least see what he can do. Um, you're not really going to get away from who you are. Defensive-wise, defensively, I think the Titans have done a good job at playing better throughout the year, uh, despite not having their, you know, their, their big running back. But now that he's back, I think they're going to rely heavily on him to see what he can do or how he can help going forward. All right, Derrick Henry, when I heard him say he still had a plate in his foot, I thought, you're going to play in an NFL playoff game with a plate in your foot. I can't wait to see how this looks. He is so <laughs> good, but a plate in your foot, that sounds like a major problem. Yeah, you know what? It, it, it's it, anyone's guess when you come back from that type of injury to see how a running back is going to do. I think it, it weighs heavily for the Titans going forward because uh, you know the, the fact that they're the number one seed and they played the way they did and got what they uh, achieved without Derrick Henry was a surprise. I had kind of wrote them off when he went down with the injury, but you know, give give Coach uh, Vrabel the credit due because he found a way to rally his team and, and get them playing some smart football. They're, they're a pretty good team. I don't necessarily think they're the best team in the AFC, but I think they're a really good one. And at home, I like the, their momentum. 
Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, joining us. So, Chiefs Bills, who do you have? Um, I like the Bills this time. I think that, you know, last year when you watched the Chiefs-Bills game in the AFC Championship, one of the biggest things that Joshua Allen struggled with was reading defenses. This year, he's been much better prepared. Uh, Dable uh, did a great job with him this season on how to read and recognize defenses, and he's just one of those guys that's going to take it upon himself, like a Patrick Mahomes, to make the plays when it comes. When it comes. The difference is the defensive side of the ball. I think the Bills' defense is much better than the Chiefs' defense, so I like the Bills. Now you've been down on the Chiefs all year and you've talked about you know the extra hangover playoff the games, the hangover yep. from losing the Super Bowl, and they've had some key personnel turnover in the middle of this run. Yes, the coach and quarterback have stayed in place, but not everybody else has. I'm curious if the if they break through and beat the Bills here, will you finally get on the Chiefs, or will you just keep picking against them every week? No, no. So you know what? It, look, I, I I will admit when I was wrong. I thought there was going to be a Super Bowl hangover. I think one of the biggest things they did right was they got themselves Melvin Ingram on defense, which really helped out. Um, you watched that Denver game. Denver had him until Ingram made that play and fumbled for a touchdown. Uh, I don't know how you don't block a defensive end on a run play, but hey, that's <laughs> that's a, the Broncos' problem. Um, but when, it, when it's all said and done, the Chiefs are still good because they've got a quarterback, they've got a system that can generate points, and everyone's intimidated by them. So much to your point that you started with the, the first interview about, you know, field goals aren't going to win, you got to score touchdowns. That's sort of been the mindset in the AFC, especially when you play against that team. And it's harder to do than people give credit for. It's harder to get touchdowns. Sometimes you just have to play the percentages and hope that your defense can get a stop or get a turnover or maybe even get lucky like they did in that Broncos game. But the, the fact fact is, is that the Chiefs are a good football team. They've turned the corner. They find they found a way to write their defense in a way to where they can they can still give their offense the the slight edge. Um, if they're able to overcome this game against the Bills, I've been high on the Bills all season. If they've been able, if they can overcome the Bills, then I think they deserve another shot at the, in the Super Bowl. And I think they'll probably end up getting it. Some people pick NFL games and they do the pools and they use the confidence points where you're not just picking the games, but you're ranking them. And you put the right. most points on the game you have the most confidence in. So this week, if there were there's four games, so there'd be uh, I'd put four points on the Packers beating the Niners. I go on the radio and make definitive statements and far too often it comes back to bite me and PK and Yacht get to <laughs> laugh at me and mock me. But I don't see how the Niners win this game against the Packers unless they get a bunch of turnovers, and that's what the Packers don't do. Rodgers, 37 touchdown passes, only four interceptions. Best in the league. That's that's it. So how do the Niners win this game? Do they just have to turn that pass rush loose because that's their most elite unit? That's where their advantage usually is. And if the front four dominates, they win, and otherwise they get beat. Time of possession. Controlling the clock. Good old-fashioned football tends to win in a playoff season like this when you're able to run the football. The fact that the 49ers are a run-first team really aids them and, and, and helps them. If the Packers don't have an answer to contain the run of the 49ers, the 49ers should control the clock and keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline most of the day. So Debo, yep. throw him short passes, hand him the ball, run the clock. Use it. Use everything that you can. To, to matriculate your way down the field, nice. take your time, and still find a way to score touchdowns. That puts the pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Not that he can't handle it, especially when his offense is capable. But if you put them in a pass-first situation where they have to keep up, then the advantage goes to your defensive front where you can generate pressure with your front four because your secondary is a, a weakness that can be exposed. 
I love that when you drop in matriculate right there. That just tells me <laughs> you're probably late 40s, early 50s. I mean, I know you're 50, but you're yeah, late yeah. 40s, early 50s. You watched NFL films because you love football, and when games weren't on, and you saw the coach mic'd up during the Super Bowl, Hank Stram, matriculate the ball down the field, guys. That's right. True story. True story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Bucks and the Rams, super intriguing the Rams, they've got the talent to beat anybody, but that means you have to pick against Tom Brady, and that probably makes the average gambler break out in a cold sweat. Yeah, how about that? Um, you know, I early this year, when uh, Stafford went to the Rams, I, I remember one of the things I did is I, I went to my, my, Vegas, my Vegas friend, and I put down $100 on 27-1 to odds that the Rams would be in the NFC Championship. <laughs> And they're that close. And the reason why, because I said the Rams were going to do go all out, do whatever they could. They want. They have a Super Bowl filling team right now. They needed a quarterback. And I thought that when the Lions gave up Stafford, that's all they needed. With Stafford's ability, you know, that he's thrown picks and he's he's kept them down. They haven't been as as favored as they should have been. But they're still a good football team. And you saw what they did against the Cardinals. With that being said, I don't know if it's going to be enough to to beat even a depleted Bucks team. They really have to have a great game. More importantly, Stafford can't afford to throw interceptions. And if we've seen anything out of Todd Bowles over the last couple of years, his defense has been ready to answer the challenge. So with that being said, I, I hope the Rams win for my wallet's sake. I just don't know if they can. <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for joining us. The pleasure is mine, man. Maybe we'll be well. We'll talk soon. There's Raider analyst Lincoln Kennedy talking NFL playoffs. When we come back, Joe Ingles, the Jazz. Ugh, it's a rough stretch here. They have lost six out of seven. What's gone wrong? We'll talk with Joe. Stay with us. DJ PK, Joe Ingles, joined us in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday, and we're going to replay that conversation. He'll drop some last nights talking about the sixth loss in the last seven games as they fell at home to the last place Houston Rockets, worst team in the West. But uh, here's Joe on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe, and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic. <laughs> And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe. To the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Is it really a good morning, Joe? Jazz fans are cranky. Uh, I had a great morning with my kids. So There you go. Um, got up with Jack at 6 o'clock or whatever and hung out with him and just dropped Jacob to school and heading in now to uh, lift and get some treatment and then watch some film. Can you predict what kind of film you're going to be seeing? Do you know what Quinn... Have you already run through the game in your mind? Quinn's going to want to talk about this and that and definitely that. Um, yeah, I've got a... I think eight years in with him, I've got a fair idea um, what, we'll, uh, what we'll be seeing and um, talking about or, or listening to 
more, probably more. Um, so, yeah, it'll be, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's fun, but it's obviously, it's obviously good to see it all. Um, it's good to see, it's good to talk about it. Um, we're not going to somehow like go back in time and get a win from last night. So we, we, we've got to move forward and obviously things to fix and things to work on and, and um, yeah, keep getting better. I assume there'll be something about uh, defending the three-pointer. He was uh, he got to that pretty quickly in his post-game remarks. Too many open threes allowed. Yeah, I think um, I, like, like the, the obvious ones that stand out, like the, the couple that Matthews hit in transition. Um, I think as soon as he kind of subbed in, more or less, and um, gets him going a little bit, and then uh, I think for, for the kind of a, a middle patch of the game we did alright and then obviously towards the end Gordon hits a couple and um, I think Brooks the other kid might have hit one or two um, so it's obviously yeah I mean it's uh, like I said it's it's frustrating it's um, things that we can control we can, we can not lose sight of our man or know what our rotations are or, or what the coverage is um for either a certain player or um, obviously as a, as a team what we're, what we're, what we're trying to do out there obviously we we go out we thought we go into every game with a, with a game plan and um, obviously the coaches spent a lot of time kind of digging into that to, to let us know what Matthews wants to do or, or whatever it is or, or what the sets are so um, it's obviously frustrating when you watch we watch a lot of film um Anyway, even when we're winning, we, we watch a lot of films. So um, to, to see it all and obviously talk about it, we had a shoot around. Um, and then obviously to, to still have breakdowns. And then I think in the the bigger picture, having multiple breakdowns in, 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 in a, whatever you call it, a bigger stretch of games at the moment um, is obviously the, the frustrating part. And um, that's the part on the players. Like, obviously, Quinn isn't out there to whoever's scouted is, is it out there. So we've got to, got to lock in and, 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 and get it done. And um, there's no kind of... We've showed multiple times this year when we, when we are getting it done, we're, we're a really good team. So um, it's almost like <laughs> get to the point where it's almost enough talk about it. We, we need to go out and do it before... Um, yeah, just yeah, it's, yeah, it gets frustrating. Can you personally draw lines connecting these last ten games? You've lost seven of the last ten, which is highly unusual in the time you've been with the team these last five years or so. There haven't been many stretches like this. Can you draw kind of the string that connects these losses? This is the trend. This is what's what's uh, sinking us here. Yeah, I mean. I know people don't want to hear like COVID and it's not an excuse, but we, we've had guys out. Um, obviously, Rudy being a big chunk of that. Um, Rudy Gay was out. Uh, we've all we've all kind of missed games in this chunk. And no, by like by no means a, an excuse or, or a reason we've we've been. I mean, you look at Rudy Gobert. We've played over the last five years. He's missed. I think someone saw it like four or five games in five years. Or, like give or take whatever that is so 
um, not only not having him, but then not having Hassan for a couple, um, and obviously not playing with a centre is, is different. I, I've never not played with a centre eight years of being here. So, um, but on the flip side of that, again, like not using that as an excuse, we've also done a really good job in my eight years here of that next man stepping up, whoever that might be, regardless of who it is, and, and we've been pretty effective in, in stretches. Like you said, I don't, I couldn't remember. Or, or even if we have had a time that we've lost seven out of ten in the last few years, so um, yeah, it's just frustrating. There's obviously a, a lot of breakdowns. You can look at the offensive side of, of there is has been games we haven't shot well, but again, we've for, for years and years now we've we've relied on the defensive end, and obviously. The guards, from a, from a guard's point of view, staying in front of our man and, and competing and, and, again, knowing the scout individually and, and as, as a team. And then, um, again, with, with the scout, where the big's helping, where Rudy's helping, where he's not, where, where we are, um, not on our own, but we, we can't obviously just rely on Rudy to, to block a shot every single time. So, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely... Obviously, the defensive end has been... Um, Concerning, frustrating, whatever you want to call it, offense. Uh, I think maybe sometimes if we are making shots, it, it probably covers it up a little bit because we are still putting points on the board. Um, but when we're not shooting as well, I mean, Quint said it a million times in the past, when we're not playing as well offensively, we've got to rely even more and it puts a bit more pressure defensively on our, on our team. And we've, yeah, the, the moments we've got to step up, that's what it is in the playoffs when when teams know every offense or every offensive set you're trying to run, you've got to be, um, you've got to execute. And then if, if you're not, or not making shots or not being able to get the same looks because it, it's obviously a, a lot more scouted, um, you've got to rely on the defensive end. And, and, and we haven't been able to do that. We've been given up transition. That was a, a big thing early on. And we, we did a really good job of getting that back to, I think we were ranked last a month ago or something and we've, we've got that number uh, a lot better as a team but then obviously other things staying in front of guys rotations whatever the whatever it looks like but we've obviously like I said we've got to be a lot better there are plenty of Jazz fans who've hit us up on social media who say the team's playing tight Ainge is sitting over there masked up looking like some kind of movie villain because COVID <laughs> requires everyone to wear a mask. And, you know, he's the new CEO and people don't have personal relationships with him because he hasn't been around the club for years like other people have. And so can you address that? To what degree do you think the trade deadline and, and the new masked CEO is weighing on guys? Who <laughs> <laughs> ask him if he can get a special request to not wear a mask. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's... I mean, I, every time I open my phone, there's a text or something from someone saying this rumor or that rumor or, or someone on social media saying something. Like, we've had, <laughs> we've had people text us, like, saying goodbye, saying they read a rumor and they thought it was true and, like, we've loved having you and good luck at, like, in your next step. And so, for, I mean, for, I can't obviously speak for, for other guys too much. I mean, for me, it's been in my face for the last... I don't know, a couple of weeks here, a few weeks, whatever it's been. Um, I don't know how long is left of it until <laughs> until we until everybody has answers, I guess, to a, to a certain extent. But um, I, I mean, obviously, that stuff is is out of our control. Well, what's in our control is playing the best we can, 
um, obviously doing doing what I was talking about on the on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, the, they're the things we can go in and go in now, obviously, and get to work in and, and prepare and, and get ready for the next game and watch film and do all that. I can't control what Danny Ainge is thinking or what Ryan Smith's thinking or Zanuck's thinking. Um, I I could sit there and think about it 24-7, which at times you do. Like, there's no, no question. Um, it pops in your head and, and obviously from my point of view with, with a family and kids in school, there's, there's a lot going on, but um, also, at the end of that, on the flip side of that, like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> unless one of those three people come up and tell me something, I'm not going to know anything. So, um, that's where obviously your, your agent and, and those guys have conversations, and whether they go back and forth or, or it's, I don't know. I, I guess the other part for me is I've never really been, or my name probably this this heavily in in anything like this. So yeah. You kind of just sit back and, again, like, what are you going to do about it? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy my time. I'm going to, I'm going to play as, as hard as I can. I'm going to do my best out there. And um, if that, in whatever it is now, two or three weeks' time, is me getting traded, then that's what it is. If it's not, then I'll continue to to, to play for the Jazz and, and do what I can to, to obviously, with the ultimate goal is is to win a championship. So. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't know how other guys are feeling or thinking or whether Danny's sitting there. <laughs> it is frustrating for them or not. Um, but again, obviously, it's like I said, that, that stuff is out of our control and what we can control is what we do on the floor. And um, yeah, like I said, we need to be a lot better on the floor. Well, since DJ's first commandment of Joe Ingles' basketball interviews has already been broken, I knew I'd have to work harder and do some digging today. My first commandment is thou shalt win the night before the game so we can screw around and have more fun. Coming in off a loss is never as much fun. But I think we've addressed the major issues there, and I thought, what is something I could bring up that would be relevant yet unexpected for Joe? Now, Yeah, right, exactly. Here we go. Saddle up. We ride. Of all the names that you would expect me to bring up today, I don't think you'd expect me to bring up Andrew Gaze. Andrew Gaze. Right. Uh, and for people who don't know, he is an Australian basketball legend. Am I right? It would, if I called him the godfather of Australian basketball, would that be too big a reach? Uh, no, not with what he looks like either. He looks like a great, great, great godfather. <laughs> he looks, he looks like a, he looks like a wizard out of one of those Lord of the Rings movies, right? He's gone gray. He's the old yeah, man. But he's had, he's had gray hair since he was at Seton Hall when yeah, he was right. twenty-one or whatever, twenty-two. Yeah. So. He was one of the first Australians to come over, college ball, I think he was the first, and, and play at a high level. Seton Hall was in Final Fours, and it was, uh, you know, it, it was a great run. So I'm thinking that between the time he played here, and if I had talked to him then and said, there'll be another generation of players, and you're about 20, 25 years ballpark younger than him, so you're a full generation younger than him, I said, there'll be a lot of Australians in the league, and they'll be shooting 43-pointers in a game, and there'll be a guy from Australia who, year in and year out, is you know top three, top five, top ten. That probably would have blown his mind. And I'm wondering how much it blows your mind when you see someone like Garrison Matthews pull up and shoot some of the catch-and-shoot threes he shoots. He's not 
of the stature of, you know, Steph Curry or Damian Lillard who can shoot whatever they want whenever they feel like it, and they're good enough, and it goes in, and they're the franchise guy. Garrison's more of a, a role guy, but this is his role, and it's valuable. And I just think that even if you think that shot is a long way, I'm wondering if the next generation of Australian kids is just going to be launching those. That the 12 and 15-year-olds out there who are watching Joe Ingles shoot threes and see Garrison Matthews shoot threes, if this isn't where the game is going. Because doesn't he make it a lot harder to defend the floor? Either you give up a shot to him or you're so far away, it's really hard to help and play team defense. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, that's what the game is there, and, and we can all probably thank Steph for it. Uh, <laughs> he's changed the, the game, and it's... Um, I mean, I think... And watching the, the big guys battle down there, but, I mean, to to throw the ball actually in the post now and watch someone go to work is, is probably a handful of players in that game. Um, I mean, like I said, Steph, what he did. I mean, he's he's obviously changed. Like we, every basically every team. I think we were one of the last with when we played Fave and Rudy together. But apart from that, like, not many teams are playing two bigs. Everyone plays basically four guards. Any two three man is now a four man. Um, all the positions have kind of bumped up a little bit. You play two point guards and. Um, yeah, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's it's very different. I mean, it like you said, Matthews comes in last night and the first two in transition. I mean, it's not like he ran to the three point line and shot him. He caught him like a couple steps over the half and zero hesitation. And and obviously, I think he made the first two right away pretty quickly. And um, obviously, as a as the opposing team, you, you don't want that as the whole. Um, the whole point that you're trying to avoid and, and obviously like I said knowing the scout and knowing what like you said like what he's obviously from Houston's point of view got a green light to do that um, I think he was one of the guys that was on a, either a 10 day or a two way or, or came into training camp and he or maybe it was when they had the COVID or whatever happened and he saw, ended up signing a three year deal or something pretty recently so his confidence is Obviously, they're all-time high right now as well, and and he's got that green light. They 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 know subbing in the game, his, his teammates, his coaching staff, they all know that that's what he's out there to do. He's going to run the floor, and he's going to pull up from wherever he is. <laughs> um, and if he makes shots, he's going to finish the game like he did last night. And if he doesn't, he's probably sitting on the bench. And they're the things like I was saying earlier to our first or second question or whatever lately they're obviously the frustrating parts because we know I mean you know going into a game that he can be pretty impactful but if we're, we're locked in on it and he doesn't get those first two or maybe we can test him a bit better or whatever that looks like he probably he probably misses them and he probably doesn't see the floor again and then they're playing someone who's not as dangerous from the three or whatever that looks like in terms of what their rotation is um but like, yeah, I mean, going back to kind of the quote, like it's it's a very different game. Um, I almost like you kind of sit there at times and, and wonder if it ever will go back to playing bigs again or, or two bigs or how much we throw it in the post. Whether that becomes more and more or, or it stays the same, like it's it's I I couldn't really see it going back to to playing two bigs again because even. 
I mean, you look at some of the fives now and even some of the fives that are out there, like Sabonis and, I mean, there's, only, there's a hand, but these guys are shooting mm-hmm. shooting threes as well. So a lot of the times out there, there's five guys that can be um, reasonably dangerous from the three-point line, which is just so different. So, um, yeah, I didn't expect you to bring up Andrew Gaze, but um, <laughs> hopefully the... Hopefully the next generation. I mean, even when he was in the NBA, he went to Seton Hall and went back. And then I think he was at, I'm not sure if he played, I think he was San Antonio for a little bit. And, um, yeah. Washington. Yeah. Just, Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully the, the next generation of Australian kids. I think, I mean, when I first started watching and, and kind of getting to that age, Andrew Bogut was kind of the one that was over here and, Obviously, being number one pick kind of opens up a few doors, and then you get the Delis and Paddy Millses who are undrafted second round picks um, who, who make pretty big impacts and win championships, and then you get that next kind of tier of young guys of um, the, the Dantes and Ben Simmons and um, Josh Greens and Matisse Thibault and all this that kind of the younger, obviously a fair bit younger than than me and Paddy in that group, and um, exciting to see what they do so hopefully for, for us we've got some more guys coming through there's kid in the G League who's playing really well we, we've got we've got some really good young guys so I think um, it's definitely cool for me to, to to know Andrew Gaze and Shane Hill and these guys that, that played before me and then obviously um, seeing the uh, me being I guess the, the older guy now and seeing the next generation and trying to help them in whatever way I can to um make sure they can, can get to the NBA and, and continue a, a dream or, or chase a dream that they've they've had for a long time. Well, Joe, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming off. Bad times don't last. Bad people do No, wait, that's not the cliche, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the cliche is. Tough but... times don't last, but tough people do. That's the cliche. We will, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it's frustrating and, and we've shown at times that we can be really good and We've shown at times we can be really S H I T T Y. So <laughs> we uh, we we need to get back to who who we are and who we can be. And um, again, that goes back. I said it in media lot. Like everyone, go look in the mirror and, and figure out what you can do to help this team be better and win games. And um, uh, I think we can get back there um, hopefully quickly and and keep pushing forward. And, and obviously, by the end of the year, be in a position that we want to be in and, and be playing well and. Um, that's obviously the goal then to, to push in the playoffs as far as we can. Joe, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us and uh, good luck next week. Warriors, Suns, and Suns. Wow. Good times, right? Right. Times. And then Memphis, Minnesota, I think, after that as well. Look at you. You never know the schedule. Very good, Joe. No, I, I actually looked at it uh, this morning when it's on my fridge and I was getting something for Jack out of the fridge and I was like, let me have a look at this. Um, but again, like, not to drag on, you probably got David Locke to talk to because he's so proud of his thousandth show he did last night. But that's tomorrow. Um, shout out to Locke, too. I do. I do like Locke. Um, but I mean, it's like it, the schedule is what it is. But it's, I mean, what better time to to really put our team to the test? And, and I mean, if we're not going to lock in and, and be good against Houston, and I think we've got Detroit on Friday, and say, like, all right, well, you're about to get punched in the face a couple more times so you've got to be ready and, and if we're not ready it'll it'll 
should quite clearly show against these next few teams. So, um, yeah, we, we've got to be ready to go. So here's here's a note you can share with your teammates, and this is a reason to be encouraged going into that stretch. You guys are three and seven since the start of 2022, but you're two and zero oh against the Nuggets, and you're one and seven against everybody else. The Nuggets are good. You know their guys. You know Jokic is wildly talented. You feel challenged. I think you're more focused. I think you're motivated. You had that awesome playoff series with them in the bu- in the bubble that came down to the final shot of the final game and the final second. And so I think you bring it against those guys. I think that's why you're 2-0 against them because they're clearly, no offense intended, but they are clearly much better than Houston and Detroit. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, right now they all feel pretty good the way, <laughs> the way we've played, obviously. But yeah. um, no, I mean, we've... Well, I mean, in in the past, we've we've I wouldn't say had issues, but we've we've been a bit more lackadaisical against teams we're supposed to win, quote unquote, yeah. and um, bring it against teams that were better than us three, four years ago, or, or ranked higher than us now, or whatever that looks like. So, um, yeah, I mean, we like I said, I, I said it in the media last night, but we we're not going to just walk in and beat any team in this league and. Um, I think that's quite clearly shown recently. Um, there's there's different like do we shoot better? Do we defend better? Whatever that looks like, but we need to be better all around. And every one of us from from one to seventeen or whatever, however many players we have these days, um, and a couple of ten days and <laughs> whatever else. So um, we need to be better, and, and we know that. And everyone will be in here today and we'll we'll get better and we'll get ready for tomorrow all right there's joe ingles when we come back what is trending all the headlines stay with us